This is one-on-one's NHL podcast, where we take on the five hottest issues in hockey with three of our NHL beat reporters. It's time to go five on three. And welcome to episode eight of five on three WFUV's NHL podcast. I am Dom Muscarella alongside Jackson Heil and Nick Lehman. And we've got the same three local teams as always. We've got a little bit of Gary Bettman's Olympic comments. He had a few things to say about the NHL's future in the Olympics in 2022 beyond the upcoming Olympics next year in 2018. And then we'll round out this show with a few predictions for our quarter mark of the NHL season in a few of the major trophy categories. We've got MVP, we've got Calder, we've got Vesna, and maybe perhaps Norris as well. But like I said before, we're going to start off with the New York Rangers, who their streak lives, the streak that they had built up last week. We talked about it a lot, saying, you know, is this streak going to continue? They've got kind of a tough slate of games. They were home games in, you know, the teams they played defense, but they did play a very tough Columbus team. I think there's the Columbus Blue Jackets are the best team in the Metro. They beat them. They played the Boston Bruins and beat them. And then they played the Edmonton Oilers. And what do you know? They beat them too. Yeah. And it's very impressive kind of run of three games. Obviously, Boston kind of came in with sort of an AHL roster, so to speak, with kind of half their lineup out. But that's still an impressive win at home. And obviously against Columbus and Edmonton, we really saw how dangerous this power play is. I mean, Kevin Shattenkirk, the defenseman they brought in over the offseason, has made just a massive difference at the point for them. And Pavel Buchnevich has been one of the best players in hockey over the past few weeks. So overall, it's been very impressive for them. The defense is still a massive issue for them going forward. They still are allowing a ton of high-danger chances going forward. But Henrik Lundqvist's play over the past two or three games has been much better for them, and that's something that they could definitely look for. Can't forget about the pair of goals from Rick Nash in the game against Edmonton. If they get Rick Nash started, you know, they've already got the guys like Zibanejad and, like you said, Buchnevich, who have, you know, already got 18 and 15 points, respectively. Nash is lagging behind a little bit with just nine and six goals. Nash has been a guy who's been pretty dependable for them, at least in the regular season. So if they're able to get him going, he's been more noticeable during the streak. So if they're able to get him going, that bodes even better for this offense that might be able to pick up that slagging defense a little bit. Absolutely, and you look at the line that's gotten going for them over the past few games, Rick Nash, Kevin Hayes, Matt Sugarello. That was a line that they put together a few weeks back. That's It's taken a while for them to get going, and they're, again, that's three streaky players right there. Nash, as we mentioned, can score in bunches. He has four goals in his last four games. Kevin Hayes, you look at the three odd-man rushes he had against Edmonton, just dazzling passes to set up Nash, and he set up Zuccarello also, who somehow missed a wide-open net. But again, that line has been really good. They've been good below the net mouth, which has been really impressive for them. And they've kind of been good in starting that rush as well. So that's an attack that's been going for them. Obviously, the KZB line with Kreider, Zibanejad, and Buchnevich has been great. And the power play has been great also. We got the Rangers have to get Brendan Smith back in the lineup at some point. But overall, you have to like the way they've been playing. Obviously, six wins in a row. The met the weakness of the Metro Division early on has helped them, but overall, they're kind of back where they expected to be. Yeah, I mean, I I always say to my New York fans, whether it be you know the Knicks, Rangers, Yankees, like wait it out, it'll probably work out, and I think that's what we saw with the Rangers. It was just a slow start, 
everything worked out fine, six in a row. You know, I, I know you mentioned Rick Nash. He's starting to come on. This can be a very dangerous team down the stretch. Uh, this week they have Chicago who just came off a beating from the Devils and then uh, Columbus on Friday. You know, I think the schedule is going to get uh, tougher now. Obviously, Edmonton and Columbus are still good teams. Boston was, as you mentioned, shaky on on their lineup coming in. But I think the next few games, because they're still lower in the division. I think they're still like sixth in the division, yes, even though they're all right bunched now. in. Yeah, yeah. there's I mean, a lot of one game would vault them over both the Isles and Penguins. So we're kind of in that position where you can look at the standings, but right now it's a whole bunch of teams bunched up with 20 and 21 points, right, which bodes right. well for a lot of teams in the division, including mm-hmm. the Rangers. Yeah, and it's weird. It's like it's like there's like a different between like eighteen and twenty one points. There's like five or six teams there. So again, they kind of got lucky that they had turned in the bad start this year. I mean, had it been last year when Columbus was flying, Pittsburgh started you out hot, those, and Washington as well. Right. And also, New, you forget New Jersey started out nine three and three last year as well. Mm-hmm. So there was four teams last year in the Metro who came out really flying. Right, they got kind of lucky this year, where they were able to kind of start out slow, and they were able to find their way back into the mix. And now they have a chance, kind of, to rise above it. But overall, you have to be happy with the way that Elaine Vigneault's squad has turned over. And again, he's not on the hot seat anymore. I think maybe he should be on the hot seat still because I'm not a fan of kind of the job he's done. Although the personnel decisions lately have been much better, I just don't think that. They're at this point where his job security should be entirely safe. You're right about the Rangers' schedule as opposed to the rest of the Metro. You know, we've got the teams that you know we won't be able to mention because we're going to get onto the rest of the local teams soon. But you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins and Washington Capitals, guys, or teams like those, underperforming to an extent. Very surprisingly, whether too. it's on the on an actual results level, like you know, the Flyers were a preseason favorite, and you have the Washington Capitals, who both don't really have the points that a lot of the rest of the teams in the Metro do. Or the Pittsburgh Penguins, who do sit in fourth, but don't look very good right now. They've been allowing a ton of goals in their losses and kind of squeaking by in the wins they do have. Their previous game they played against the Predators. They didn't look too great. They lost in the shootout. So you've got some of the teams in the Metro that have kind of been lagging behind a little bit that's been allowing the Rangers to kind of hang around there and allow this win streak to push them you know, right in the middle of it. One more thing about the Rangers that I don't that we didn't mention yet is Henrik Lundqvist's play of late. It seems like every time we're here, we're looking at that save percentage kind of go up and up and up. It was hanging around below 900 for first couple of weeks of the season. It hit 900 last week, and it's at 905 now. So behind Lundqvist, if he can keep can continue playing the way he can play, obviously the team played so well, so he led the NHL this week in wins, which is not surprising. <laughs> but for those of you who like goalie wins, which Hopefully shouldn't be too many of you. But so Lundqvist as a whole has allowed the Rangers to stay in these games, especially like the the game against Edmonton. Yeah, I was just about to mention the Edmonton game was his best game, I think, of the season. You just look at him. The first few minutes he had a little trouble with handling the puck, but overall the way he was seeing shots, he was seeing everything through. He was controlling rebounds, which is something that has been kind of a problem for him this year. But overall, it was one of his one of the most solid performances we've seen from him, and also credit the defense as well. The pairing of Nick Holden and Ryan McDonough shut down the McDavid, Drysaitel, and Patrick Maroon line. They kind of held them in check, especially Nick Holden. I was surprised with his performance, but he's played really well of late. So, 
there have been some bright spots defensively, but that's the area of concern, obviously, for the Rangers. They're still allowing a ton of chances going forward. So if they can kind of figure out and get into that structure defensively that Lindy Ruff likes, I think that we could see the Rangers as a, as a cup contender going forward. All right, so from one streaking team to another, we've got the Devils, who've got a two-game win streak right now. The Devils this week, you know, I was kind of starting to suspect after their first two games of this week, they played St. Louis and they played Edmonton and lost both those games. I was kind of looking at that and saying, I've, I've been pessimistic about the Devils this entire time. And I was kind of saying, hey, you know, is this when things start to fall apart? But two wins later, they look alive and well. Certainly. I mean, people were saying Tuesday's game against St. Louis was a must win. I didn't necessarily think so, but I thought the Edmonton game was a must win and they got a point out of it, which was satisfactory at best. I I think that was definitely one they needed to win. But then this weekend, all of a sudden, they put so much heart and so much effort into both those games. I'm still so surprised and impressed by the way they played. Like the 2-1 win against Florida was by far the best game of the year in, the, in terms of the way they they held the lead for that long. And it was extremely physical, and um, Schneider was fantastic. And, and then the way they battled back last night against Chicago, they were down 4-1. I don't think they were even done with the first, and they were down 4-1. And then they came back with five unanswered. Miles Wood had a hat trick pretty much out of nowhere. But And those were like gritty goals. They weren't like, you know, him speeding forward on breakaways like he usually does. He's in front of the net battling. So, I mean, the the um, performance the Devils put forward this weekend, I think, was really defined them as a team and was a good summary of basically this entire year so far. You mentioned Miles Wood. I know as I'll, I'll kind of turn this on to you, but... okay. He's one of my favorite players to watch, honestly. Mm-hmm. He's like kind of Michael Grabner for the Rangers, although he's much younger. He just has so much speed. He kills penalties. Great. He's one of those guys that you want on your team. And I just want to hear your thoughts on him because he's he's marvelous to watch. He's underrated. Opinion. I mean, his, everyone knows his speed by now, I think. He's one of the fastest skaters in uh, the league, I think. But he does the little things, like you mentioned, killing penalties and, you know— how did two of the goals last night were just battling in front of the net, getting rebounds? Like, not many players I feel like have that like umph in them to like stay in front of the net and try and you know just get those gritty goals. It's an, nowadays it's a lot of skill and finesse. It's we've sort of lost that like grit that a lot of hockey players have had for like a long time before this. And then he does that. That's fair. I I think Wood is. Listen, I don't think he's a top six guy where they've been playing no. him. I yeah. think he'll fit well on that third line when no, Marcus Johansson comes back. But overall, I mean, he's a he's one of those glue guys on your team mm-hmm. that you really want to have, and that oh, yes. a playoff team would like to have. And if the Devils do happen to make the playoffs, which I think is a very big stretch at this point, even though they are first in the Metro. He's a guy that's going to be huge for them going forward, and I I really like his game a lot. So to kind of put this this Chicago game into perspective, this is the first game that Jersey has won in regulation since tr- after trailing by three goals since 2006. So whether that means something special about this team or not, whether it's just a one-night exception, you know, they're getting the scoring all around. You know, he sure added his third goal yesterday. He had three points Finally. as well. And they even had Taylor Hall with his sixth. So I guess 
to talk about Heischer a little bit. Nick, what have you seen from Heischer? What have you liked? What have you not liked? I don't think he's the player the the Devils were expecting to get. I think they were expecting the high goal scoring player, and he's been more of like the skill assist kind of player for them. It's been the like the unexpected players coming out scoring the goals. Like Brian Gibbons has eight goals. Miles Wood has six. You know, Drew Stafford has five. Like everyone's contributing, but he's been and he's been. You know, turnovers have been a little bit of an issue for him, but I think he's young. That He can fix that in, you know, first two years or so. But, you know, I, I feel for being, like, just entering the league, he's he's doing well. He's doing well, but he's not the player the Devils expected him to be, but he's fitting in just fine. Yeah, he's. A, I mean, he's a really good playmaker, as you mentioned. I mean, mm-hmm. you put him between Taylor Hall, and he's going to find loads of space on the ice to make plays. You mentioned the turnovers. Turnovers will be an issue. I mean, that's going to happen with a player of his age coming straight out of the draft into the league. Right. But I think you have to really be happy with his production. He has three points last night. Mm-hmm. He's up to 14 on the year, which is second on the team to only Taylor Hall. Right. He's been a guy who's, when you put him on the top line, I mean, he's really excelled with Hall. And who who, who have they been playing him with mostly? With besides Hall, who's been the guy on the right of him? Uh, it's been Hall, Heashear, and was it Stafford? I think it might be Stafford. Stafford's Stafford. been playing with him for a while, but overall, I mean, you just look at his his production. He's been really nice. Jesper Brock got a point last night. Who was kind of struggling for a while, but it was nice to see him get back on the score sheet. You want to see progress from this Devils team. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone has them marked as a playoff team. I mean, you just look at their defense. Their defense is going to be an issue. But you want to see progress from this Devils team, and that's exactly what you're seeing right now. I think it's going to be a stretch for the Devils to make the playoffs, but if they do, I have a feeling they could go farther than people think because they have a strong fourth line. Their fourth line production is pretty good, and you have... Brian Boyle right now on that fourth line, like doing great on faceoffs and stuff. I feel that though it'll be tough for them to make the playoffs, if they do, they can go farther than people think. I think that's a big stretch, to be honest on your part. And I, mm-hmm. I, I, get, I get that you're confident in this team, but again, we're just under a quarter of the way right. through the season. I said and if. I, no, I, 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 don't I understand. Think so, yeah. No, I understand what you said. Yeah. But again, I think one of the things you need in the playoffs is defense. And right. I get mm-hmm. they have some good puck moving defensemen, but. When they get trapped in when they get trapped there, in their right. own zone, they're in trouble. I mean, they're in big trouble. John Moore is a perfect example. He's their, he's on their second pairing right now. He's a guy when he has the puck, he's great, but he can't handle really in his own zone. And Will Butcher has obviously been great, but they're going to struggle handling teams. And if they don't get heroic performances from Corey Schneider, I think it would be a quick exit from them in the playoffs. So we are going to move on from the Devils now, who will play Toronto and Winnipeg this week. Winnipeg Jets, they were one of my surprise favorites this season, and I'm glad to see them doing well so far, validating my predictions. They're Thank good. You. Thank you very much, Jets. They have Jets. a lot of talent. Right. So we're going to move on to the Islanders now, our final local team, who had a bit of a so-so week in terms of results and takeaways. 
because they played the Edmonton Oilers and lost in the same way the Devils did to the Oilers in overtime, and then played back-to-back road games against the Stars and Blues. And after the game against the Dallas Stars, I think most of the fan base was sitting here thinking that we had discovered this franchise again, that it was going to be one of those, they were going to either barely make the playoffs or barely miss it. And then they turn around and win 5-2 in St. Louis against a very good St. Louis team off to a very good start, which was odd for me to watch and I think odd for everybody else to watch especially considering what happened before the game and that Beauvillier was not sent down to put on the IR in an emergency and they called up Josh Hosang to play in that game and coach Doug Waite decided not to play Ryan Pollock for the first time in several games which had a couple of fans raising including myself raising our fists at that considering Pellick was in again and Seidenberg was in again in a game that It wasn't a schedule loss, but it was pretty close. So because of the fact they did have some hope, we were kind of like, you know, they just came off a a big loss to the Stars, 5-0. You'd think they want to have their best guys in this game, and they're not going to go in. And then they win 5-2. Yeah, I I think it's a very impressive performance, especially with the way they came out in the first period. You get three quick ones against a team that's been among the best teams in hockey thus far. So obviously... In an emergency scenario, getting Hosang back up, I think that's the best thing that could have happened to them. I mean, Hosang is a top six talent who really hasn't shown anything or any reason why he should have been in Bridgeport. So that didn't make much sense to me for him to be in Bridgeport all this time. But again, the the scratching of Pulak, that just seems to be something that's been happening around the league with scratching young defensemen. I know the Rangers have been suspect to that with Anthony D'Angelo, but... You look at the results, obviously, a 5-2 win over St. Louis. That's something that you have to look at this Islanders team and think, that's an impressive performance. Because going on the road and coming away with a result like that, especially against a team like the Blues, one, you, you just forget the personnel issues and stuff like that. They came out and took it to St. Louis whether it be in the offensive zone. They did a really nice job in the neutral zone in that game, kind of shutting things down for the St. Louis top line, which has been really good. So overall, I think you have to be extremely happy with that performance. They also got a great performance in gold and net from Thomas Grice, which has been something that that was that was something very refreshing in terms of goalie play because it's kind of been Halak who's been the main story for the Islanders. Lots of talk about you know Grice kind of losing his job or at least losing his end of the job if if, if this were some fifty fifty thing going into the season. But Thomas Grice played very well. There were a couple of multi, some sequence saves he made on a couple of back to back St. Louis shots, rebounds left that he very quickly got over to. So it was great to finally see a game from Thomas Grice that made the Islanders kind of feel like, okay, we don't have to go with Yaroslav Halak game after game. Finally have some sort of stability as far as in their two-headed goalie situation, if you will. Well, I mean, if Thomas Grice keeps putting on performances like that, that's going to give Doug Wade a good problem to have, you know, not deciding which goalie to put in. But I think for now, at least... They should be staying with Halak, but it is refreshing for the mm-hmm. Islanders to at least know there's still something left in Thomas Christ that they can rely on. God forbid anything happens to Yaroslav Halak or in back-to-back games like they had, you know, against Dallas and St. Louis on the road. I think it was the the expectations for Grice have kind of been a little unfair, so to speak. I mean, because he really bursted onto this scene kind of with one playoff series against Florida. So I think 
the Islanders fans expected a lot more of him than he was capable of, or at least had shown in the past. But he, again, he's a quality goaltender. He's not among the elite class in the league, which is obviously mm-hmm. not true. But Oh, yeah, no, no way. But he's a good goalie. He can give you good starts. He's not a guy who will give you 60 starts a year, but he's a guy who will fit in nicely as kind of a splitting time role. And that's gonna. That's the one thing about the Islanders that does scare me is they don't really have that goaltender that you know, all right, he's going to be the starting goaltender in the playoffs. That's going to be an issue for them going forward. And I think the guy I really wanted them to get in the offseason was Scott Darling. I might have mentioned that on the show last week, but he would have made perfect sense for them. And they overall, they still do have that goalie problem. Right. They have two goalies right now that look, Grice is generally more stable than Halak has been, but two goalies who really look like very different goalies at, at any given moment. Halak is more notably a guy who will look very, very good at times and then look like he doesn't belong in the NHL the next night. <laughs> you know, there's the infamous game in the the year they lost the home home eyes to the Capitals in like the tail end of the season against the Flyers where center ice Mm -hmm. shot made it through Halak in the closing minutes of a game or closing seconds of a game and that cost them a vital two points and points they needed to have if they had those two points they would have been the home team against the Washington Capitals in the final Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum playoff series but that aside I do think both these goalies are capable. And by having two goalies rather than one, rather than a goalie and kind of subpar backup, you at least can kind of play your chances with one. If they're not playing too well, you can kind of take them out. Kind of like the Pittsburgh Penguins were doing with Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt and Murray. Both of those guys weren't, you know, stud goalies necessarily. They weren't ever really considered, you know, tippy-top of the NHL in most goaltending statistics, but they made it work because when Flurry would struggle, they'd fu- they'd put Murray in there and he'd perform well. When Murray would struggle, Flurry would come and look really well. So as a whole, I do think this goaltending situation is something the Islanders can get around. For me, I'm still a little concerned about the defense, especially if Doug Waite isn't willing to play Pollock as much as he will because I don't think Seidenberg is very good, and I don't think most of the fan base does either. And Adam Pellick is another guy who probably isn't very good either so they do have holes on defense you know t- Johnny Boychuk has not provided offensively what you'd like normally Nick Letty is a solid defenseman but the defense has left a little bit of room for improvement in my opinion yeah and I, I do like the defense of the Islanders actually I think Calvin DeHaan has been really good for them this year and has made strides defensively if they do opt to stick with Pulak, which they absolutely should, they could have two really good pairs with Letty Boy Chuck along with DeHaan and Pulak. And then I also like Mayfield back there. And then you have a kind of a third pair that could be solid with Mayfield and whether you go with Pellick or Seidenberg at that position. I do like the defense, and that is something that does give me confidence with the Islanders going forward in terms of can they shelter for Halak and Grice? But I, you mentioned that they Halak and Grice being serviceable. That's I don't think that's in question. I think the real thing is, will they show up in the playoffs? And that's been a concern for them going forward. I don't know. What do you think, Nick? I think that the Islanders in the playoffs, I don't know, they seem to struggle quite a bit. They can never show up for, like, when they show up for the moment, basically. And I, I don't, I'm not totally bought in on the Islanders yet. 
I, I think I still need some time to see if they can, you know, I mean, basically everyone in the division is really close right now. But for the Islanders, I, I'm still not 100% bought in. I, I'm afraid with, you know, their top line is starting to get hot now. But defensively, they're strong. But I think this goalie situation could bring trouble for them All right, so later on in the year. We'll move on from them this week. They'll play. They'll get their first look at the sort of new look Carolina Hurricanes at home, and then they'll play in Tampa Bay, another tough, tough road game for them. But we'll move on now to the commissioner of the NHL's comments, Gary Bettman. His comments on the 2022 Olympics and the NHL's state or status in those Olympics. We all know that they're not going to be NHL players won't be participating in the 2018 Olympics, but this Saturday, Gary Bettman came out and said that he didn't envision a scenario where it would make sense for NHL players to play in the 2022 Olympics, which made waves considering a lot of people thought maybe 2018 would just be this one-time thing and the NHL would return 2022 is a long ways away, but right now at least, Gary Bettman seems pretty dead set on the fact that this is not a good thing for the players, and it's going to be something that's going to bring them more harm than good. Therefore, right now, it's not either it's either a worth shrugging off or b not going in not worth going into to determine whether it is something that should be done. Listen, I, I think the whole the whole standpoint on the Olympics by Bettman is an absolute disgrace. I mean. For the for hockey fans, you just look. My, two of my greatest moments as a hockey fan, unfortunately, were the 2010 gold medal mm-hmm. game where yes. Parise ties it with 25 seconds left, and then we all know the history with Crosby. Right. But, and then mm-hmm. also in 2014 in Sochi when TJ Oshie decided to become basically God in <laughs> in the shootout, but earned him a nice contract. Yeah, it did. Yeah, and it that, did. That, that that's those two moments are just like. You're going to take that away from the fans now? I mean, and he mentions that the only scenario he could see it is when they participate in North America. That makes no sense to me because I know you're going to have the time differences and whether it's in South Korea this year or when it was in Sochi a few years back. Hockey fans are nuts. They're going to get up to watch these games. That's not something they should be worrying about. And I guess from the player standpoint, it may not be great for them. But I guarantee you wouldn't find one player who says, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want to participate in the Olympics because because it's better for my body. Stop it. You you, you all know they want to participate. I think even more, more so than the fans, the players. The players keep saying, we want to play for our countries, especially the ones from, you know, Europe and overseas. And, well, especially Canada, Canada, where, you know, hockey is everything. Like any country. Players are patriotic and want to play for their country. And I think, well, look, I don't think Bettman should even be talking about 2022 right now when he's getting so much heat for 2018. Why I is agree he, with that. Why totally. on earth is he even putting himself in this position? But I think that, isn't the uh, player's contract, the uh, labor agreement due in 2021? Or it's 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 in the it's in the near future. Twenty twenty one, I believe. Right. Is the date. I think this but. could be a make or break issue for a lockout. Seriously, because I think players are that serious about going to the Olympics that this could be a major labor dispute in in that contract. I mean, it, you could argue that 
you could argue that that's the reason Ilya Kovalchuk isn't here yet. Obviously, there were contract issues in the summer that the Devils weren't willing to trade him as well. I'd rather not think about him. But <laughs> part of the reason I think he's there is because of the Olympics. And, I mean, you look at Andre Markov. He, yeah. I'm sure he had options to re-sign somewhere. He wants Probably. to play in the Olympics. That's why he's over in the KHL. Right. It just it, it, it makes no sense because... It's great for the players. The players love it. Obviously, they had the one issue in 2014 where John Tavares got hurt for the entire season. But are we really going to let one injury deteriorate something absolutely great that the NHL had? It, it's just it's so sad. I mean, you look at just the World Juniors, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, last year's World Junior game with USA and Canada was unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, it just it generated so much excitement. And I think Bettman's making incredible mistake by doing this and it's obviously not going to cost him his job because he has none so of them much, seem to cost has, a job exactly exactly he has so much power but it's just so disappointing to n- possibly see that the olympics aren't going to be associated with the nhl soon right to see this happen would be to see gary bettman and company win out which is not something that any nhl fan wants because bettman's always not necessarily looking out for the NHL fans and even the NHL players a lot of the time. Again, it's something that is, the root of it is player safety and they don't want the players getting hurt. It's not something, it's not a moral issue. It's a, the ownerships of these teams don't want these players getting hurt so they're not able to play issue. But at the end of the day, the fans want this. The fans in foreign countries want this. They want to see the best level of Olympic play they can get. And then the players want it. You know, Connor McDavid called out Gary Bettman for the 2018 issue, and so did so many other players. I remember Ovechkin like getting really mm-hmm. harsh, and he said he was originally going to play, but like mm-hmm. you mentioned, the, all the players want it, right? And everyone wants exactly. it. Exactly. Why, why wouldn't you see to the players, whether it be money or or injury concern? I it's injury it's concern just is just a, a facade. Injury concern is just a facade for the main point that it has to do with the money so and such a disgrace. Yeah. Right. Like I said, not a, the the injury stuff, that's where it comes from, but it's not they're not actually looking out for the players' injuries necessarily. It's more so a we need to keep these players on NHL ice, not Olympic ice, and putting them on Olympic ice might get them injured, and if they get injured, fans if they're star players, fans won't pay for the NHL tickets and so on and so forth, and they'll lose revenue that way. So again, like you said, Nick, while it does stem from the injury, it is largely a facade in that they kind of just want these players to keep playing in the NHL and not get injured elsewhere. Anyway, we'll move on to our final segment here, which will be our quarter mark predictions for for the awards in the NHL. We've got Hart picks, we'll go Norris picks, we'll go Calder picks, and we'll go Vesna picks. We'll start with Hart. Jackson, you want to go first? Yeah, I, I got an I got an interesting pick here. I, I'm going to take Jaden Schwartz right now because mm-hmm. obviously you have the two in Tampa with Samkos and Kucherov who've kind of been lighting the world on fire right now. But the reason I picked Schwartz is because I he you look at his two way game, he's excellent, and he's the guy that really makes that St. Louis Blues team run. Obviously, you have the big name there in Tarasenko, but he's been a difference maker for them, and he's kind of really been the reason why Braden Shen has able to be so successful to start the year, along with Tarasenko. So that's my reasoning behind the Schwartz pick. How about you, Nick? Okay, I have Steven Stamkos. Uh, you could probably give it to either of those two on that Tampa first line, 
But I'm going to go with Stamkos. They basically Stamkos is 31 points. Nikita Kucherov is 30. I mean, I I'm thinking more that Stamkos is the guy setting it up. I mean, come on, 23 assists at this time in the year. That's I don't think that's more games than he's played. It's probably like 17, 18 is. games. So I mean, he's just on an incredible pace with an assist, taking on a new role, which I think is something we were all surprised to see throughout the season so far. And uh, I think he's just been outstanding for the Lightning. Yeah, so I'll, Kucherov. I'll go ahead and pick up Kucherov yeah. since that's the guy you didn't choose. Taking right. the one remaining. Kucherov, <laughs> you know, he proved himself last year as a capable player when Stamkos went down. So he's kind of continuing off of that. And now we're seeing what he can do alongside Steven Stamkos. And it really is a thing of beauty in the goals that he scored and the the assists that Stamkos is, you know, provided for him that he can turn into goals. That top line looks like the best top line in hockey right now. I don't know if I can come up with another one that really comes close. They, there isn't. They, there they isn't. just look too good right now. And so does the rest of this Tampa Bay team, which is why for my Norris choice, I'll choose one of the finalists from last year, Victor Hedman, for my choice for the Norris. He's provided, you know, an offensive presence on defense, and he's always been, you know, a, a pretty capable defensive defenseman as well. You know, he was chosen as a pretty high draft pick in the year that he was chosen. So he hasn't always had the eye-popping numbers of the guys like a Tavares or something, but he's always been a very capable guy for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And I think the success of the rest of the team is going to bring him a little bit more attention for the regular season and then even the playoffs and then when it comes time for award season voting. All right, that that's a that's an interesting pick. I didn't really I hadn't really thought about Hedman this early in the season, but two guys have been looking at Alex Petrangelo in St. Louis, so I'm going to stick with the St. Louis team there. Right now, he'd be the guy I give it to. I mean, he's third in the league in points for defensemen right now, and he's just been a really big part of that St. Louis team and he's one of the best defenders in general in the NHL. And the other guy is kind of an easy pick but Eric Carlson I mean he's missed some time early on he already has 17 points thus far in just 11 games he's the best defenseman in the NHL I don't think it's even close but he's the guy I would look to going forward but if the season ended today I'd pick Alex Petrangelo I think I have to go with Eric Carlson just because if you take him off that Ottawa Senators team who do you have not much not much exactly so I mean he's starting he's basically driving their offense in a way being that you know quarterback from the point you know he he's a strong defenseman and you know one of I think just by far the best uh in the league and he's definitely going to be you know like he's the only person Ottawa has right now that that they're sort of hanging in their division so next we'll go on to the Vesna trophy you know lots of guys in here you know I think the obvious choice is the Los Angeles Kings, Jonathan Quick. I think I'll take him for my choice. Quick has been incredibly solid for the Kings. We mentioned this a few podcasts ago when we were talking about underperforming and overperforming goalies. Quick was the guy who a lot of people came up with very quickly. Quickly, no pun intended there. <laughs> but uh, he's a guy who's been very good for the Kings. He's been a big reason that they've you know launched themselves into first place in the Pacific. So got to take Quick there. There's, I'd say... A fair number of guys who, depending on the way their teams finish, could pass quick. But right now, I think through a quarter mark of the season, he's where I would go for the Los Angeles Kings. I'm going to go with Corey Crawford here. I mean, he's literally the only reason that 
Chicago has stayed afloat early on. So I'll stick with Crawford. He's been really sensational. I think he was a little overrated early in his career based on just basically the Stanley Cups and Chicago always being a top-class team in the NHL, but he's really been sensational this far, and he's really the only reason that Chicago has been remotely competent so far. I think i got to go with Andre Vasilevsky. I mean, he's got 13 wins in 15 games. He's just been really strong for Tampa. I mean, I know Tampa can sometimes score the way out of problems, but, you know, defensively, they're they're also strong, and he, he's been a key part of that for them. And our final one will go with the Calder Trophy. Um, I'll let Nick start this time. Nick, you haven't started yet. Okay. Uh, I think i got to go with uh, Clayton Keller. Mm-hmm. I mean, sort of the same story I was trying to say with uh, our Carlson for Ottawa. On, on, Phoenix, uh, on Arizona, if you take Clayton Keller off that team, who else do they have? I mean, they only have two wins to begin with. So... I mean, if you take off the amount of goals he scored already, I mean, that team is... I don't even know if they still have a win. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you have to go with Keller. I think that's the easy choice. But someone to look out for, Brock Bosser with Vancouver. I mean, mm-hmm. he's really off to a hot start quietly. He's on a point-per-game pace. Had a hat trick earlier last week, I believe. He's a really good player, really good shot f- with the right hand. He's just a really good player, and I w- that's someone I would look out for going forward, especially if he's going to be playing with the Sedin brothers. Right, so I will go with Matthew Barzell of the New York ah, Islanders. Ah, the homer of pick. Got to go with the homer pick. Uh, Clayton Keller, I do think right now, is the favorite, but I do think that the level of play that Barzell has had over the past 10 or so games has led me to believe that if this continues and he's able to kind of get it going with Jordan Eberle along that second line, he's got the line mates for it. So as a whole, I do think he's got the situation around him that'll very easily allow him to continue the production, which is where the whole better team argument comes in. How do you account for the fact that Keller is surrounded by a team that, you know, speaks for itself in terms of quality, whereas the Islanders are a team that at least offensively, they're going to produce if you're going to be put alongside Jordan Everly and Andrew Ladd and guys like that who have proven NHL track records. Yeah, Barzal is a really interesting player to me. He's, he's provides so much speed down the middle, which we don't see much in today's NHL, but he's really quick, incredible hands, and he's just a really, really talented player who, like you mentioned, you put him with Everly and Ladd, he's going to have a field day. And we saw him at five points a few weeks week ago so he he's a really impressive talent going forward and i definitely could see him coming away with the calder trophy all right that'll do it for episode eight of five on three wfuv's nhl podcast i'm dom muscarella alongside nick layman and jackson heil this has been episode eight and we will see you next week